Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am your host, Ben, joined by my co-host, Jonah. Hello, Ben. How are you today? I'm great. I'm just great. How are you? Doing all right. Started a new job today on this beautiful Monday in April where Portland got a few inches of snow for the first time ever in April. I was going to say, I I don't think it's the first time Portland's ever got snow. Yeah, I read that this is the first time since Portland started measuring their weather over 80 years ago that there was an accumulation of snow in April. So I guess there have been dustings that didn't amount to anything and this is the first time it ever actually snowed in april well that's a cool fact how was the snow well it was okay i didn't love how close someone parked to me and i was wearing dress shoes in like three inches of slush so not ideal but it was so cool do, do you need to dress that way for this job, or is it just a first day until you get a feel for things kind of thing? A little bit of both. There is a dress code, and I have to dress professionally, but I also didn't want to err on the... Uh, I didn't want to underdress. That's fair. I always find... I'm going to be honest. I find these dress code things so dumb. I'm oh, not yeah, same. customer. Fa- I'm not customer facing. Nobody sees me. Me neither. So why does it matter what I look like? And also, my job has a business casual dress code. So I started my job when I started my job. The first, I don't know, f- three months I was wearing like khakis and a button down shirt. It was pretty casual, but it was still like dressier than I would love to to dress and pretty much since then and I've been working there since last July pretty much since October I've been wearing jeans and a polo so so nice I no longer care nobody said anything to me the only thing that came up was I didn't do laundry last week and had a t-shirt on a jeans and a t-shirt on um and my my manager is like I don't I don't care but you might be pushing it with a t-shirt and I'm like, I didn't <laughs> do laundry this week, but I'm doing it tonight. And he's like, okay, that's fine. He's like, you can wear a t-shirt if you're working out on the floor. Cause I work with the, the uh, CNC machine and that can get kind of dirty, but you know, I wasn't that day, but yeah, I hadn't done laundry. So I picked up this weekend. I picked up some more, some more polos. So I just have stuff ready to go kind of, but yeah, I haven't really worn anything but jeans, sneakers and a, Pretty much like a golf polo, like a stretchy Under Armour style material polo. Yeah, sure. That's how I'm dressed. But you you bet when I'm working from home, when I get the opportunity, I'm in pajamas all day. (laughs) Yeah, it was funny because I got there and 30 minutes after getting there, all the employees got a phone call saying work from home today because of the snow. But all of the new people like me who were doing onboarding today just Ah. had to stay. (laughs) So it was strange. Very empty office. I had an empty office for half my day today. So that was very nice. Oh, really? Yeah. 
because so okay just really quick rundown let me the hear company it. that i work for used to be based in new york like long island city type area um which is like through manhattan on the other side of like across the island um and now they're in new jersey and one of the guys drives from brooklyn to the office every day well not every day but like he works from home twice and comes in like three times a day a week so i'm pretty much alone until i was alone today until he showed up at like 10 o'clock so not too bad i like when it's nobody else in the office yeah you can wear t-shirts as much as you'd like well my manager is on vacation until wednesday so if nobody was in i probably wouldn't care so much and i would but you know until then i'm just gonna do laundry at a normal time i just did laundry tonight so we're good perfect i appreciate you know what isn't laundry jonah board games (laughs) correct uh let's see here word on the street is some big boxes arrived at your place you want to talk about them correct some big boxes arrived at my place so let's see the first one that arrived in the last i don't know two weeks i'll go back like two weeks Uh, i had the second edition of machina arcana machina arcana however you want to pronounce it uh Machina Arcana, it is a Cthulhu Lovecraftian, very difficult dungeon crawl, can be played cooperative, solo. I bought it mostly for solo, but I think Ashley likes that style of game. So while it is a heavy, heavy game, I'm going to try and ramp her up to that and see if we can play together because I think it would be fun. Um, But I actually sold the second edition. Well, to be more specific, I traded the second edition with someone who works at WizKids for like an entire set of D&D slash Pathfinder like pre-painted miniatures, which when you look online, the set that this guy traded me is like a $200 set of minis because I guess they're making them like booster packs. So you don't know which ones you're getting when you buy a box of them. So you try and collect them all. And he gave me like the full set. Um, so he took my second edition of Machina Arcana. That was a few months ago, maybe like four or five months ago, more than a few. And I did that because they were coming out with a third edition and I bought the third edition and I mostly bought the third edition because the insert for the second edition was terrible. And it was like the box was slightly too short to fit everything that they wanted. So they made this insert and it didn't really fit everything very well. And I was like, The game looks really cool, but if I can get rid of my current game and then just buy the new one. So that's what I did. Bought the new one that came in maybe two weeks ago. I spent some time last week organizing it. Everything is in the box sleeved because it the the version I got came with the sleeves and ready to go. So that was big box number one. And then big box number two. Uh, My favorite board game company, apparently, is Mind Clash Games, according to my uh, ranking engine setup. Um, I think Anachrony, Cerebria, and Tricarian are all in my top 10. And their newest game... Which goes pretty well for Perseverance, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So their newest game came in, and that's Perseverance Castaway Chronicles Episode 1 and 2. 
um, it's a very, it's a campaign light game. So it's not a light game in itself. It is a heavy worker placement slash area control slash settlement defense game. It's a really odd, like mashup of categories and mechanics. Um, And there are two different games, obviously episode one and two within one gigantic box. And I spent about four hours organizing the entire box. Um, I still have to sleeve the cards. I believe it. But I was, yeah, but I was punching everything, organizing and sorting everything. And I watched, while I was doing that, I watched the Paul Grogan gaming rules video for episode one. And episode one is a influence slash settlement defense game where you so the story of perseverance is essentially you were on like this luxury cruise liner like in a futuristic type setting and a storm opened over the cruise liner in the ocean and warped you to a dinosaur planet in another dimension which is weird but cool uh and you are now trying to rebuild and survive on this new planet and episode one has you like rebuilding settlements in various portions of the board there are four sections of the board where you can build settlements and then in front of each of those settlements you can build walls to protect from the dinosaurs attacking and depending on how you lay your soldiers out you can defend certain areas of the camp while also trying to influence the officers there are four officers um i think it's like the chief of engineering the chief of security uh the chief i think it was like first mate and then there was one other that i don't remember right off the top of my head and they get randomly placed out in front of each of these four sections of the board so depending on what you do in them i mean it'll change how the game plays each time but depending on what you do in these locations you can influence these characters to get bonuses and essentially what you're trying to do is gain enough influence that during these voting rounds you are getting the most votes to become like the leader of the new colony and that is episode one episode two i'm slightly less familiar with i haven't watched a rules video of yet and i only briefly looked at it but it seems more of like an exploration game so it is set a little while after the end of episode one and you've essentially established your settlements and now you're going out beyond the walls and exploring the dinosaur planet. So you're flipping over tiles and seeing what appears on the tiles. I don't 100% know exactly what that one's about yet. But is that there is in what's the same called... box, oh, though. It is in the same box, and there and are just shared three components. and four that are coming out later. Yeah, I don't even know when they're coming out. Like, I don't even know if it's on their roadmap yet. It could be on their roadmap. Let me actually look. Mind Clash Games. Because they have a, they I think they have a roadmap on their um like their newsletters and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, perseverance. Let's see. Did they say anything? Episode three and four. Kickstarter in twenty twenty three. So so delivered in twenty twenty five. Well, the original one I think was a Kickstarter in late twenty twenty. So it was actually somewhat quick for a Kickstarter. A little mm-hmm. over a year. But yeah, 2025 is probably a safe bet. Uh, I will be older than I am now. I will be over 30 years old by then. That'll be neat. Um, 
but yeah, so <laughs> there's there are shared components between the games. So this is the one thing that I will say is a little ridiculous about this game. I mean, aside from just physically the size of it um, and like the 700 dinosaur miniatures that came in the deluxe version that I bought. Um, there is, like I said earlier, it's kind of like campaign light. And what I meant by that is that it is a non-legacy mini campaign because there are shared components between the two chronicles and you can it's called the chronicle mode and you can play episode one and then use certain things with these shared components to like level up your character or like whatever faction you are and then you just go right into game two and you tell like a mini story between the two games i'm honestly not a hundred percent sold on that yet because in my opinion if the it seems like the game is going to be like a two-hour game to begin with and i don't know if you can like pack it up and use the chronicle to come back later or if they're expecting you to play like five hours in one sitting which i wouldn't really want to do and then you're tearing down a game and setting up a new game because it's two there's two boards in the box there's one for game one one for game two there are different faction mats. So once you move over to game two, there's a second set of faction mats. It's like literally like having two full games in one box. Hopefully they're the both size. good and they're not both kind of good. Yeah. I mean, so what I will say is from watching the gaming rules video for episode one, it looks like a lot of fun. I think I'm going to enjoy it quite a bit. And I really do think just from game just from the gaming rules video for episode one, I think that I could play the game without having to watch it again. It doesn't seem that crazy. Um, again, it is mind clash games, so it's a lot of icons, but they seem to make sense within the context of the game, which is always a good thing. Um, but yeah, I think what I was going to say before is like, this is where I think some things are wasteful and unnecessary. And that's not something that normally comes out of my mouth when I'm talking about Kickstarter board games, but you, you have these. So in the non deluxe, everything is punch boards. So like the dinosaurs are standees, but why would you ever get that? But that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that they give you an aged aged, meaning for the second game, that's like a year in the future. They give you an aged up miniature of all of the heroes that you can play as. So you get two sculpts, one where you're in the first game and one where you're in the second game. And then they give you eight. They give you eight game one miniatures for soldiers. So four light soldiers, four heavy soldiers, and then eight game two light and heavy. So four and four. But at any point, you only ever need 10. So that means you're grabbing combos when you're playing in the first place because you need to get to 10. That's so you so you literally just have six extra soldiers that you're not going to be using at any one time. So like they just made miniature. I mean, they all fit in the insert. So it's like not it's not doing anything to me to have them. But it's just like six extra miniatures that you don't need faction and that's not counting like the aged up hero or anything like that meanwhile 
there's a solo mode with these characters called dissenters, which I guess my guess is they're going to be working to like get the dinosaurs to come in and attack you because they're dissenting from the group. And they don't have miniatures. They only have standees. I would rather have had miniatures of them if I play the solo mode than six extra miniatures per faction. So 24 extra miniatures of soldiers. It was like a weird design design choice. Yeah. So especially because you get five of each light and heavy in the punch board versions, which means if you don't have the miniatures, you have the right amount per age. But in the miniatures, you have one less than you need. So you need to grab from the other set, if that's making sense. It's it's very bizarre. And I'm like kind of unexpected for Mind Clash because they seem to have really good production. But at the same time, again, it, it all fits in the box. So it's not like it's not killing me to have them. It's just weird. Okay. Well, I think you should play it. And I think I you should play it. play it with Greg as well because I think it's a dice worker placement, right? Yeah. So it is a dice placement. So you roll dice at the beginning based on player count. You roll dice at the beginning of the, of the round. Um, and then you can draft from those dice and place them somewhere on the map um, to do actions. And it's actually seemingly very quick. So like I said, you you get voted on at the like once all the dice are taken and you can't use another die, there's a voting phase. So in a two player game, there are two of each of your colors. So four dice because I was watching a two-player bit because I figured Ashley and I would play because she loves the dinosaur theme. She thought it was really cool. So there are four colored dice, two from each faction, and then nine, if I'm getting this right, but see how I kind of remember this stuff already. It's not very difficult. And then nine generic dice. They all have the same symbols, but there are rules involved if you draft like the other person's colored die, etc. There are only two voting phases in a two-player game. So like literally you have two rounds of the game. Yeah, I'm reading through the reviews now. Well, the reviews from the past few weeks, not the ones from like a year ago that say, oh, I can't wait for this to come. Let me give it a 10. Doesn't make any sense. It's surprisingly lower than Mind Clash games that I expect. Right. But someone recently said very bad at two. Which, I mean, it could be. It very well could be. I don't know. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm going to give it a shot at multiple player counts. I'm going to give it a fair shot. I did say before it even came in, this is probably the one Mind Clash game that I wasn't 100% sure of mm-hmm. off of the Kickstarter page. It's more that I know Mind Clash games makes games I like, so I am willing to try it because it's Mind Clash games. I'm willing to give them a shot, but this is definitely the first of their games that I'm not like, this is the first other games that I would consider like, oh, I might be selling this game after playing it a couple times. Like, you know what I mean? I, I just don't know how it's going to play. I have no idea. But yeah, that's Perseverance. That was uh, the biggest one that arrived. And then I'll just finish up real quick with the uh, Veiled Fate. I know that I spoke about Veiled Fate a while back because I played the tabletop simulator version of this game while it was live on Kickstarter a first for me. I think I should do that more often. Uh, I played at seven players. It's like a, it's a deduction game, but not there's nine demigods on the board and you can control any of the demigods. Like you can make any of them do whatever you want them to do. But at the beginning of the game, you are assigned a specific demigod 
so you are essentially trying to mask who you are so people can't like stop you from doing various actions. Um, but at the same time, you don't know who the other players are. So you could potentially be moving someone else's character up the leaderboard without realizing it. So like who you are is hidden, but you can play as any character on the map. Are there always the same number of characters on the map, no matter how many players there are? There are always the same, as far as I know, unless like below a certain count, they take some off. There are always the same number and it's the highest along the victory track of a player's demigod that wins. So even if like a NPC was moved higher up, it's the player character who's furthest up the track that ends up winning. Interesting. I'll have to try it sometime. Yeah. So that came in as well. The only thing I'm waiting on for that is the wooden board. I got the neat wooden board for it, but they had to change producers for the wooden board. So that's a little bit delayed, but the game is beautiful. The production looks really cool and I'm excited to give it a shot again because I really liked it on tabletop simulator. So, you know, but that was also, was that? No, that was not pre COVID. I was going to say, I didn't, I don't think that was pre. I, I don't think it was, but getting seven together is always tough for me. So that's probably a Patrick's place game. So at least for now. So, yeah, that was my big week, uh, two weeks of getting stuff. Wonderful. I have a slight update on the uh, modern art Korean edition deluxe, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I have been waiting for it to be restocked for a while. I finally purchased a copy of it. And it said it would be delivered May 29th. And then it said it would be delivered May 22nd. And then two days ago, I got an email and it said it will be here on Sunday. That's not May 22nd. So it will be here April 17th, which is exciting. We have some friends here who play games here and there. And they both told me that they like auction games. So I'm hoping to play this sometime. I don't know what auction game they've played. Anyway, I'm glad it's going to be here sooner than anticipated so I can give it a go. Yeah, very cool. I'm glad that that worked out for you as well. And as always, I'm not really waiting on other games to come in. But I have played some games lately. Wait, can I give you a surprise question now that you mentioned that? Sure. Surprise question. I had a, I was actually thinking about this on the way home because I have done it and I've done it recently. Um, have you ever owned a game, gotten rid of said game after playing it and then bought it back? Not something like Hanabi where you just buy like a thousand copies of it because you keep giving them to people mm. or turning them on to the, the hobby. But like a larger game i would say have you ever like sold one and then bought it back the same game i have never sold and bought back but i have sold and thought maybe i should have tried it yeah that's fair why did you sell something that you're now buying well i so i sold spirit island a while ago and then now that i am in a relationship with somebody who enjoys cooperative games i purchased it back um Oh, a few weeks ago like and you played it too. not yet we haven't played it yet but i know i've i've played it before and i i think it's neat and i think ashley would like it but i was like driving home today and I'm like 
trying to think of questions to ask on the podcast. I was like, has Jonah ever bought a game? Has Jonah ever spirit islanded a game like me? Um, and I was like, I don't, I doubt it, but I want to ask. So that's my, that's my surprise question. I hope you enjoyed your surprise answer. I, I did. All right. So I played some games. Yes. And I am going to talk about all of them. And I am going to save the most convoluted one for last okay. because you're going to listen to me talk about it. And some people might not want to listen to that. Anyway. What if I don't want to listen to that? Then I'll just talk to Patrick about it. No, I'm, I'm kidding. First things first, I played Eon's End with Jason last week. Eon's End is a... Ooh. This is perfect. Eon's End is a cooperative deck buildy kind of fight a big monster. Which game. one? Which one what? Which Eon's End or which monster? Yes. Which... Oh, nope. I'm thinking of something different. There's so many things with the word Aeon in it. And I'm like, I can't keep track. And I'm like, I didn't think that this one was out yet. But I know which one you're talking about now. So continue and I'll tell you what I was talking about after. So Eon's End is what I just said. And I thought it was a neat deck builder that has a very high amount of replayability. Because there are a ton of different characters you can play as, a ton of different cards you can use in the market, and you get to choose what cards are in the game as well, which is neat, and a ton of different bosses to fight against, all with different difficulty levels as well. I will say that the setup and teardown is obscene for a game like this. However, I thought it was a good game, and I really liked the twist on deck building where you do not shuffle your discard pile when it becomes your deck again. So you actually choose the order in which you play things and purchase things knowing that it's going to come up in a certain order when you play through your deck. So really quick to see if I understand. You don't you don't place them how you want them when you reshuffle. It's all based on how the order you originally the order in which them you in. played. Yes. And that I anytime you buy something from the market, it goes to the bottom of the stack that you are currently adding. So like if you have already taken a turn, uh, if you play a card, play another card and then play a third card to buy something, that purchase card goes below the three cards you just played, but still on top of the deck that the discard pile that already existed. Which means everything you purchase kind of gets expedited up to the top of that section of the deck. Okay. So that, that I mean, I that sounds really neat. Actually. Yeah, it's a really cool twist on the uh, deck building mechanic. And I like it. I would try it again. I would try it again with someone else setting it up before I got there because that was insane. And breaking it down after you leave. Right. But it was a cool game. And there is another game that I got back into. And that is 
kind of the same thing as this, but digital. And that is Slay oh. the Spire. Oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. What did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say Hearthstone. Oh, gosh. I, I can't get back into that. I when you said digital, myself. that's my first thought. Yeah, so Slay the Spire is basically just a digital deck building game that you can play on the console or a PC. And I gave it a try a couple months ago, and I thought it was all right. And I tried it again this past week because I wasn't sure what video game to play. And I actually really like it. It's a cool deck-building fight-the-monsters game. Kind of in the same vein as Eon's End and Ascension. And something else that I can't think of. But I have been enjoying Slay the Spire. And it's great to play a effectively digital board game on the console. Because mm-hmm. you just play as much as you want. And then you pause it. And then you go live your life. And then you come back and it's still there. Very cool. Have I you saw tried Slay the Spire. So actually, Ashley has been getting obsessed with video games lately because she's been looking for something to do other than watch television when she's done at work and eating. And we were at GameStop and we saw Slay the Spire. It's free um, on the PlayStation. Well, she has a Nintendo Switch. Oh. Well, she doesn't. Her future brother-in-law does but he doesn't use it very much and since they live together she's been using it um but i am gonna be giving her my brother's old xbox one as well because i think there are some other games for that that i think she would enjoy but she has been obsessed with monster hunter rise um oh you can sink a lot of time into that oh yeah so I can constantly get texts. Oh, guess what I'm doing? I'm like, uh, Monster Hunter? Yeah, I killed this monster earlier, or I got this weapon earlier. And I'm like, this is great. So, yeah, she's been really into it. But we did see it at GameStop. We didn't pick it up. Um, but now that I know what it is, I can probably let her know what it is and see if it would be something she's interested in. I think you should download it on the PlayStation and give it half an hour of your time. Okay, I will. I will do my best. Now, what I was talking about earlier when you said Aeon's End, I thought for some reason that it was that Aeon Trespass Odyssey game, which I thought was like Aeon's End Trespass, but that's not the name. There's just so many with that same word in the title. Mm. But that's like a Kingdom Death style deck building game. So that's why I was curious, but I didn't think that it had shipped yet. So it looks very just shipping now. Kingdom Death. Yeah. Well, speaking of, I think I'm going to be playing Kingdom Death this weekend with Ashley. So. Oh, sweet. I am very excited. Very, very, very excited. I have one more game to talk about from that night with Rob and Jason. Go and then it. I'll throw it over to you. I played Coffee Traders. Coffee Traders is a capstone game that is big and about coffee. It is a game that takes three turn, three rounds to play and yet two two and a half hours and it's weird because after the first round we thought it was going to be pretty quick but then we slowed down a bit it was probably me slowing down a fair bit because i was quite confused at the start um and yeah coffee traders is a game where you are i guess a coffee 
company and you are working with the different coffee co-ops in the world to harvest coffee, sell coffee, etc. I think that this game is bigger than it should be, and I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. Or I should say, I don't think the coffee is worth the press, because there's just a lot going on in this game, and I don't think it is all warranted. It doesn't feel satisfying to play, in my opinion, of course, and I didn't feel like there were interesting decisions throughout. That's fair. The board looked neat, just visually. Yeah. Was it Eno Tool? Is it Eno Tool? Of course. Yeah, it looks exactly like Eno Tool art. <laughs> um, it's funny how I'm like figuring out who whose art looks like what nowadays because I've been playing enough games to realize what's what. Um, speaking of coffee based games, I still need to play Seize the Bean. Yeah. And I want to. Because I enjoyed it at PAX. And after all this time, I feel like I need to give it a go. Um, yeah, I was pretty boring this week as a whole. I played one game. It was a solo game. It was on Friday. And it was Friday. Uh, the solo game Friday was the name of the it. game that I played. I mentioned it to you, I think, that I was... Oh, the, was the guy who makes Frieza? Yeah, yes. Um, and it is very, very difficult. Like very difficult to win. Um, so basically the premise is that you are actually playing as, well, you're not playing as, but it's Robinson Crusoe is the character in the deck that you are building. It is a solo only, although obviously most solo games you can play with more than one person and just make decisions together, but it is marketed as a solo only game. It's a deck builder where you control like something on the island that Robinson Crusoe is stranded on and you're trying to get him off the island, help him get off the island so that you can go back to a peaceful life on the island. Uh, that's the story. It is like three decks of cards. And so basically it's very quick to explain. You are putting together a fight deck. So there's a starter fight deck that has zero value fight cards, negative one value fight cards, and a couple ones and one two value fight card. And then you have the exploration deck, which is split half and half. So one one side of it, if you're holding it like face up this way, um, is, and not front and back, but like you're looking at one side and it's split half and half. So if you rotate it, I hope I'm explaining that well. If you rotate it, the upside down portion of the card is a different part than the right side up when you're looking at the front of the card. Um, and there are values and there are three layers to the game. So once you go through the exploration deck, once you jump up to the next level of difficulty, and then if you do it again, you jump up to the hardest level of difficulty and each phase of the game, that's what they're called, has, you know, a certain value associated with it. And you basically pull two of these exploration cards out, decide which one you would like to attempt to beat, and then it tells you how many cards to draw from your fight deck, and you draw that many cards from your fight deck and see if you meet or exceed the value needed. 
If you do, you take that exploration card into your hand because the rotated part of the card is now a fight card. It has a value associated with it and an effect, potentially. And you're doing all of this over and over again to try and build Robinson's deck up to the point where you can fight two pirate ships and escape the island. Um, I've never even gotten past one exploration card in phase two because you are so overloaded with negative cards throughout the game that your fight deck straight up sucks and it is very difficult to meet or exceed some of these values. But where it gets interesting is that if you don't meet the value, so let's say you needed to hit value one and you get to draw one card and you draw a minus one. That means you are two away from beating it, so you lose two health. But for every health you lose, you can trash a card that you just played from your fight deck. So I can get rid of that minus one and I won't have it. So I actually thought that I was doing well this last time because I trashed a few zeros and all of my minus one cards from my entire deck. So I was like, oh, sweet. I have like a lot of value add cards to my deck. And then you get to phase two and the card that lets you draw one card and you needed one now is one card and you need three. And it's like really difficult. But it's when fun. Did, it's when very did you quick. get this and why? Uh, so I got this. Oh, let me see. I can actually tell you because it I just doesn't got seem like Amazon. a game that you would be interested in. So I'd actually been looking at it for quite a bit um, because I was looking for games to have that were very small because it's probably like three inches by three inches by one inch is like the size of the box, maybe like four by four by one. It's like a very small box. Um, it's just a deck of cards. Uh, I bought it on March 9th, um, so I've had it about a month now. Um, I've played it probably four times, and I was looking for games to bring with me to work when I was like at lunch and I just wanted something to do. And also, Ashley was looking for solo games at the time, and I was like, well, I'll try this, and if I think you would like it, you can have it or something, hmm. was the, the idea. But I actually kind of like it. I think it's fun. Again, it's very difficult, and I am learning that I am okay with games that are very difficult to beat, but at the same time, I want to feel like I have a chance. And this one doesn't make me feel like I have a chance very often, yet I still enjoy seeing if I can figure it out. And the fact that I can set up and play a full game in 15 minutes is quite nice. Yeah, especially, you know, it's a solo game, so yeah, you're doing everything. Yep. So... Yeah, I mean, it's fun. It Again, it's it's not the best thing I've ever played, but it's a fun, quick, small solo game that is good to pass the time. And it's kind of funny because when you go through your deck of fight cards, you then have to add an aging card to your deck, which is a, a usually a bad card. But they have funny, like, titles on them. So, like, some of the cards say, like, Hungry minus one or weak zero or genius plus three or something. But then you get these age cards and like some of them are like very stupid minus three <laughs> or like, or like idiotic minus five. And it's like, it's, there's only seven age cards. So like 
you're eventually you're literally going from like a zero to like a minus five by the time you get through it. So it like it was a really big detriment. <laughs> but like just pulling out a card and it's like you're an idiot. <laughs> it's like okay. it has to be talking about you if you're playing solo. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, no fun little game, and it's like twelve, thirteen dollars, so it's not it's not even like a crazy high investment. But yeah, that was all I played this week in terms of new games. So all right, old games. That's all I I'll talk this about. Week, but, my yeah. other game then. Yeah, go for it. I played Blood on the Clock Tower this week. I joined the PDXBOTC, the Portland Blood on the Clock Tower group Discord, and went to one of their meetups in a park. Now, ideally, I would not play this in a park, and ideally, I would not play this with strangers, but I was willing to give it a go, even though it was raining in this park and we had to move under the trees. Not ideal. Anyway, the game went well. It was a seven player game seven plus one storyteller and i'd always rather play with more than seven i think seven's the bare minimum like i wouldn't want to play at six but seven i'm willing to and do. that's seven players right seven players so plus eight the one storyteller okay yes uh so the first game we played was just with the basic set set number one of three in the game i forget the name anyway it went well I successfully figured out who the demon was, nominated them, and they were executed, and we won. So that was swell. Solid. And uh, it is at this point that if you have zero interest in Blood on the Clock Tower, I advise you uh, skip ahead to next week's episode. But I am going to get into the weeds a little bit with Ben here. All right. I just want to say right off the bat, I know I said it in the Discord chat, but I literally don't think that I could see any of this happening anywhere besides Portland or maybe (laughs) Seattle, that people go to a park and are playing like a deduction board game outside in a park. It just seems like the most Portland thing I've ever heard of. We did it. I know. I know you did. I'm proud of us. So this was a custom script called Codependence Anonymous. The person who made the script is part of the group. And this script has a bunch of characters that are pretty much paired up with another character. So just to... I I see the title. Exactly. I'll name one of them. Grandmother, you start knowing a good player and their character. If the demon kills them, you die too. So there's just a lot of kind of paired up characters in this game or characters that do something with one other player each night. So in this game, I was the gossip. And the gossip is a townsfolk. It is also my least favorite character in the entire game. So of course, I was the gossip. To play or in general? In general. I don't think it's a good design. Anyway, the gossip says, Each day you may make a public statement. Tonight, if it was true, a player dies. And the thing with the gossip is they are a good person, so they want to win with the good team. And if they say something in public and it's true, they cause an extra death. So it's kind of hard to work with. 
I, you know, I was talking to the other people about what its use is. And basically the conclusion we came to is if there are multiple possibilities for the demon, which there were, because there could be different types for a demon. And if you know something that is objectively true, then you can say it to figure out which demon it is, because that would mess with the number of deaths at night. So some demons cause one death at night. Some demons can cause more than that. So the gossip is a way to try and figure out which demon you have. Uh, my gripe with it however, is that... Go on. I was just going to say, however, and this might be your gripe with it too, but my thought would be, at least in my mind, a good storyteller would most likely never kill off an evil character using the true statement of a gossip unless something was dire for townsfolk. And that's, you know, that's my gripe. That's my main gripe is no. So my gripe is that it is an effect that seems to not be beneficial. It seems like it is beneficial in edge cases and you don't even get to control who dies. The storyteller gets to choose who dies and i understand that it is a storyteller run game i have said numerous times that i love being the storyteller i love having that control trying to make things happen uh and at the end of the story you'll see why i really am not a fan of the gossip so anyway the gossip was in this game i was the gossip i didn't love that um One of the other characters that was in this game is one that I really like and wanted to see, so I'm happy I got to see that, and that is the Cannibal. You have the ability of the recently killed Executee. If they are evil, you are poisoned until a good player dies by execution. So the Cannibal just gets to take over the power of the person who was recently executed. And day one, I was executed, and then I didn't die. And that is because there are some characters that can save you from execution. For instance, the pacifist, which was in this game, executed good players might not die. So I was nominated and executed day one, and I didn't die because there was a pacifist. And we all kind of had a good idea that there was a pacifist because I stayed alive. So, and this is just because I haven't played very much Blood on the Clock Tower, nor have I watched an episode of that no rolls bard that I've been watching that I believe has had a pacifist. Do you find out immediately after execution that you don't die? Or is it like at night you just, they say the next day, Oh, and Oh, this person's not dead. Like, how does that work? We all found out immediately after execution that I did not die. However, we didn't know why. And also, you know, the pacifist says executed good players might not die. So it's Mm -hmm. at the discretion of the storyteller. And Mm -hmm. I I like that choice in a seven player game because if a bunch of people die quickly, it's very difficult for the good players to win. So anyway, day two happens and someone is dead. And that dead person says, Jonah, I want to talk to you. I talk to them and they tell me that they were the pacifist and that's why I didn't die. Uh, I spoke to someone else that same day and they told me that they were the pacifist 
and that's why I didn't die. So right off the bat, I knew that one of these two was lying. And, you know, I was, I was able to figure it out talking to a bunch of other people, and there were some really cool roles in this game. And the main thing that we were able to figure out was that the demon type we had was the Vigor Mortis, which says each night choose a player, they die. Minions you kill keep their ability and poison one townsfolk neighbor. So I figured out that the person who told me they were the pacifist first lied, and one of their neighbors had some information that didn't add up. So that was how we were able to figure out the demon type. The big issue with all of this is that when the Vigor Mortis kills someone, if they kill their own minion, the minion keeps their ability, like I just said. And at the very end, we figured out who the demon was, which player was the demon. We executed them, and they did not die, even though they're evil. And the reason is, the minion that was killed, that kept their power, is the devil's advocate. Each night, mm. choose a living player, different to last night. If executed tomorrow, they don't die. So this demon threw their minion under the bus, so when things were looking sketchy for the demon during the day, they could be pointed to and saved by their dead minion. It's a pretty smart move. Yeah, it was a really cool move. Yeah, I mean, that's a really cool combination of minion and demon. Yeah, so I was I was really glad to play this set. I thought there were a lot of cool interactions with these roles. I was crossing my fingers and toes to be a certain character, and I am hoping to play as this character someday, and I will say what that character is. It is a minion named the Goblin. If you publicly claim to be the Goblin when nominated and are executed that day, your team wins. So it just sounds like the most evil minion to throw into a game because then all nominations are suspect because you're afraid you're going to nominate the goblin and yeah, they will claim really cool. it and win. I want to see a game with the atheist. Yeah. Me too. Uh, let me just really, really quick uh, pull up the atheist so that I can say what it is. Um the story the storyteller can break the game rules and if executed good wins even if you are dead uh so the atheist knows that all players are good and there is no such thing as demons so it sounds like you're trying to kill the storyteller right if the atheist is there yeah so. it looks really neat so i was really glad to play this set there are some cool characters in it some are really really wonky like mm -hmm. the balloonist who was in this game, each night you learn one player of each character type until there are no more types to learn. So you learn a townsfolk, and then an outsider, then a minion, then a demon, etc. So anyway, I enjoyed my play of it. I am looking forward to when the game arrives. One thing I still don't understand, or one thing I'm wondering, is if there is a master spreadsheet 
somewhere of the order in which every single character activates each night. Because I know that you can go on the Blood on the Clock Tower uh, tool on their website, put in your custom set, and then it will spit out the order. What I'm wondering is, if you bring this game to a cabin in the woods to play with your friends on a board game retreat, how do you know the order in which things activate if you want to make a custom set while you mm. are there? Now, of I course, you saying. could not make this custom set and print it out, but nothing's saying you can't have a big whiteboard and write down all the possible roles and have mm -hmm. everyone see them on the... Anyway. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it would be cool if there was a master list so you could see the order, but there I guess that's be. too much to ask. I'm sure it would be a huge hassle as well, because then you'd have a hundred line piece of paper as the storyteller to try and work with. That's true. But I do wonder if that exists. I mean, it would be a neat thing to have. I think it would be helpful as well. But yeah, who knows? I'm sure, and I am not saying I will do this because I have zero interest in doing this, but I am sure you can make a few scripts with overlapping characters and do a big logic puzzle to figure out the order. Is there a limit on making scripts? Like how many characters can be in? Like, can you just put every character into the script and just see what happens? That's a good question. I think there's a limit, but I'm not sure. Fair. Uh, I have one more fun, just little tidbit to Please. leave us with. Um, so, you know how I have mentioned that I am attempting to sell Merchants of the Dark Road? Yes. Um, even though, I will be honest, I enjoyed the game, but I don't think that I have the people who would enjoy the game to play it with, a.k.a. when Greg and Mark played it and we all had our little quibbles with it. I don't think that as much as I thought it was neat and I like the production value and stuff, I don't think it's worth keeping. So I'm attempting to sell it, but I guess I think that's Elf Creek games, I think is the name of the company. Um, yes. Elf Creek games. Uh, I guess they are releasing a new deluxe edition of this game. Paradox initiative soon that I have no real idea what it is, but it's the same designer as merchants of the dark road. Um, and I want to just mention a bit on Reddit that I read that made me chuckle at work today. Please. Um, so someone said, <laughs> I love Elf. So this is someone doing a recap of Paradox Initiative, like, and why they're thinking they might back it or might not. Um, I like Elf Creek games for the deluxe editions they produce. Atlantis Rising was a great remake. Honey Buzz was definitely a game, but pretty with a nice theme. Merchants was also a game that exists but also extremely pretty with a magnetic board. Um, and then they said, I'm not sure what they're going to do to make Paradox Initiative pretty. The initial retail version looks like a mess. And they were basically just like speculating. But then the follow-up comments, um, someone said, not sure how anyone is excited about Paradox Initiative. That designer just puts out mediocre games. And it's the same designer who made Merchants of the Dark Road. 
And then the reply to that was, he is definitely a designer that has produced games. Slammed. And it just, I don't know, it made me chuckle. I was reading through this and I didn't know that it was the same, like the same, you know, uh, company or anything. People know and what I was, sells. It's big, yeah. pretty games. Yeah. I mean, I would keep the coins from Merchants of the Dark Road if they were like thematically fitting for anything else, but they are not. You should get but the yeah. uh, modern art that's on. That has the nicest coins I've ever that's, seen. That's okay. Uh, but I did get somebody who asked me about shipping merchants to Pennsylvania. So I, respi- I responded to them before the podcast. So maybe I'll end up selling it soon. Um, yeah. Um, also, speaking of selling, just really quick, and then we'll actually finish up. I don't want to keep being like, oh, we're almost done. We're almost done. <laughs> and then just pushing things out. Um, there's, I guess, this website. Because I've never really done trading or anything like that. Um, and I know like Greg has and other people obviously have done trading. It's a thing that exists. Um, but I guess there's this website board game co. And mm-hmm. I think it's also like someone on YouTube is like board game co is a, a YouTube creator. Um, but they have, I guess this whole thing where they can facilitate trades. So you mark games that you want in trade and mark games you have for trade. And they have like this generated score for a game, which is like the value of it. I don't know if you've seen this before or not. I have. I've tr- I've used it, but the numbers it spits out are never. Oh my god, the numbers are nice. outrageous. I was I was looking through it, and my highest r- highest valued game that was on my list was Gears of War, the board game, because it's rare at ninety four, and a copy because on my wish list is Dune Imperium, a copy of Dune Imperium with a five inch long gash in the box was valued at 175. I'm like, what? Like a five inch long gash in the box drops the value to me to like 30. Like, and I was like mind blown looking at this. Meanwhile, Merchants of the Dark Road, which is dollar value over 100 is valued at like 40. And that they try to explain and like they're frequently asked questions. They're like, keep in mind, it's it's based on what games move quicker, not dollar value. Demand. Yeah. And I mean, I get that, but also Dune Imperium with a five inch gash in the box. I'd rather just buy it new for 40 bucks. Like, but yes, uh, what a great note to end this episode <laughs> on. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we appreciate the listens as always. Uh, Jonah, thanks again for joining and telling us all about your games. Of course. I look forward to hearing about your game next week. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I mean, my, my dad's coming up this week, so hopefully we do get some good games in, even though he is here taking up space and time from me. Uh, I love my dad, but he doesn't play <laughs> games, so he's taking up space and taking up my time. So hopefully I do get to play some games before we talk next, but uh, we will find out next week. So again, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you to Louisa for the great music throughout, and we will talk to you next time.